Please support the Climate Change and Happiness podcast. See the donate page at climatechangeandhappiness.com. The climate is changing at an accelerating pace. Thousands of residents and tourists have been evacuated from the region. No one country can solve this problem. There's really one key message that emerges from this report. We are out of time. Welcome to Climate Change and Happiness, an international podcast that explores the personal side of climate change, your feelings, what the crisis means to you, and how to cope and thrive. And now, your hosts, Thomas Doherty and Panu Pikala. Well, hello, I'm Thomas Doherty. And I am Panu Pikala. And welcome to Climate Change and Happiness. This is our podcast, the show for people around the globe who are thinking and feeling deeply about climate change and other environmental issues. Uh, and as we say, we're all climate emotions all the time. But we're also interested in talking about our connections with nature and how we stay healthy and mental health therapy and various things. And we are... Um, big fans of walking and being outdoors and um we're lucky to have a guest with us who's going to help us talk about that and so let me let them introduce themselves hi i'm jennifer edler and i just wrote a book that came out last week it's called walk and talk therapy a clinician's guide to incorporating movement and nature into your practice and i'm very happy to be here so thank you thomas and thank you panu for having me on today Great. Well, thanks, Jennifer. I, I'm, I was really pleased to see your book. I thought it was it's a really great how-to for for mental health therapists and, you know, I think for the public a bit to think about walking therapy and, and um, very systematic. And I like the way you laid it out. So we'll talk about that a little bit. Um, Pano, do you want to get us started today? Warmly welcome, Jennifer. Very pleased to meet, meet you. And uh, usually we start by asking a bit about roots and uh, previous parts of our journey so uh, would you like to share a bit about your own own journey how did you become so interested about uh, walk, walk and talk te therapy and na nature connection yes okay so I have been practicing psychotherapy for over 20 years and I spent the first 13 years of my practice inside in an office and around that time I had taken up running as a way to get my body back in shape after having three children. And I noticed something very interesting about my training runs with my fellow runners who became friends, but did not start out. They were strangers at first. There's something about the exercise, the movement, being outside away from distractions, such as screens, that they just opened up very freely and spoke with me and we spoke with each other. I mean, I was not a therapy session. I started to think, hmm, could this work for other people? Could this work? There's something very like disinhibiting about just running, being side by side. So I gave it a little bit of thought, honestly, just a little bit and uh, tried it out with like a friend as a practice. And then I started telling people about it and my first client was somebody who I had seen in the office. It was a 12 year old boy. And the parents said, yes, we would love for you to take him outside for the session. He loves being in nature. And 
Let me tell you what a difference I saw with this kid when I started seeing him outside. I got to know different aspects of him. I saw what made him happy. In the office, I only saw depression. For a 12-year-old, that's a shame, mm -hmm. you know? So it was wonderful to see a different side of him. And I thought, okay, this this could work. I'm onto something and started to do some research. And I am not the only one doing this. There are tons of therapists out there, whether they say it or not, that they're doing walking therapy or outdoor-based therapy. So I did more research and I set up my practice and I have learned a lot over the past 10 years, whether it's through talking with other walk and talk therapists who have experience or just learning by mistake or what works. And uh, this is why I wrote the book so that other therapists would have a sense of how to get started and some guidelines that I had to put together on my own. And I hope it can help people give their clients other options for treatment besides sitting in the office. Yeah, this is great. I mean, um, Pano and I are both in our own ways familiar with having this story of doing things, you know, and finding a path and then realizing there are other other people um, out there doing this work. So this is a great little thing for listeners to just hold on to. You know, we often feel like we're the only ones doing something. And then we realize, as, as I learned, you know, one of my sayings is if I can think about it, someone else probably has as, as well and probably even better than I have. So uh, from from being in academia, that's what I've learned. If you can study something, someone probably probably already has. But uh, but I think, yeah, whether it's connection with nature or concerns about climate, often people are isolated and they don't realize that there are others out there. So there, the, it is. It, it must have been very um, empowering for you when you started realizing you weren't the only one that were was was interested in this. Yes. And it was also felt very supportive that I reached out to some of these other walk and talk therapists who have been doing this longer than me. And they were happy to share what's working for them or pieces of that, that I was able to put together my practice. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So there's a couple of directions to go and I'll uh, again, turn it over to Panu, and, and we can get get deeper in. We we can talk about the some of the nuts and bolts of this. Um, I mean, there are therapists I know, and I supervise and work with therapists that are doing walk practices as well. Um, so that's always interesting. It's kind of like shop talk for for walking therapists. Like, how do you do it, and where do you walk, and what kind of clients do you have, and what kind of exercises do you do? So that's really interesting. Um, and then there's this this deeper these deeper parts of our own connection with nature and how we use nature for our meaning and for spirituality and pilgrimage. And then of course the climate, the, the fingers of climate change, uh, you know, in terms of heat and walking in the heat. And a lot of people are actually blocked from doing healthy outdoor activities because of heat and smoke. So I think we, 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 we will probably need to touch on that a little bit and how do people cope with that? Cause that, that will come up walking therapy exposes us to the world in beautiful ways and also in kind of the dark, dark ways. Um, what are you thinking about, Pani? 
Well, a lot of, lot of things, uh, as you both say, there's many directions to, to go to go here. And I'm, I'm not doing walking therapy because I'm not a therapist, but I have a long history with walking in various ways and sometimes also running in the woods. Orienteering is the name of that sport, which is quite popular in, 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 in Finland. And well, sometimes it's very good to walk and sometimes sometimes to, to run, but perhaps uh, starting from from here about um, about em- emotions so so Jennifer you walk with a lot of lot of people and generally speaking how, how do you see the emotional dynamics or impacts of walking is there something special uh, around emotions when people are, are outdoors and walking together mm. yes uh, people are very connected to the environment and if you give them a space to not only express their emotions with a therapist, you know, who that's our job, right? And to be in the woods, in green space, near water, you'd be surprised at what comes out that is an opportunity to explore more, to explore deeper, to connect. People find all kinds of things to connect with, whether it's water or a creek or mud, sometimes a plant, sometimes a colorful fungus growing on a dead log. There's emotion in that. There's emotion. There's a parallel between the outside world and inside ourselves. And you slow down with them. You stop. You listen to them you get to understand them in a different way. And it's it could be very powerful that people can find that connection by being in that space. Mm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, thanks for thanks for sharing that. And um, from the eco-psychology world that Thomas knows very well, there's lots of parallels to that and the complex interplay of inner and outer worlds. And when you go, go out in many meanings of that term all, all kind of things can can happen but well, would you like to share some, some of the emotional dynamics you've seen in those those encounters what kind of emotions people find themselves reflecting when they encounter these kinds of things all kinds of things come to mind and every session is different and i am constantly looking around and seeing whether it's a parallel that i see with people or they start to see within themselves. One thing that comes to mind is the flow of water. Just the flow of water can be very healing for people to know that there's movement, that the seasons, the earth, this life force of water can help move from something that might not feel great for them to something better. Or that maybe there's a boulder in the middle of the flowing water. And that's the piece that can't be moved, but the water can move around it. So Mm -hmm. let's say there's a family dynamic that somebody is dealing with. Well, you can't change someone else, but how can you work on your own reaction, your own thoughts and feelings around this metaphorical boulder? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I think seasons is a big thing mainly because well here in maryland we have all four seasons and they're all they're all brilliant right we have 
beautiful fall weather with lots of different colors. And then we move into winter and sometimes we have snow, spring and summer. They're all, they're all different, but it's basically one big transition, right? Mm-hmm. Such is life. Mm-hmm. Everything's a transition in life. Mm-hmm. And there's comfort in that. There's comfort knowing that mm-hmm. every morning the sun is going to come up. Every month is going to be slightly different and things will go on. And, you know, a lot of people are dealing with grief and this can be very comforting to know that there's this world around us that continues to go on. And there's a feeling of like a force that I'm going with it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, I think, um, in my experience, um, and, Some of the listeners, if they are mental health people, they might already do this kind of work. And if people have a background doing outdoor education or adventure therapy, this is also, there are all these different, I know, Jennifer, you talk about in your book, um, once you get into this, you realize, oh, there's all these other fields too that kind of touch on walking therapy. You know, there's, you know, outdoor outward bound programs and horticultural therapy and animal assisted therapy and all these things. Um, yeah, and I, so I think, yeah, there's the distinction between seeing nature as it is, as a real entity, the, the, the ecosystem, the trees, the, the, the lichens and things, and the, the rivers and the creeks and the, the watershed. And then also, yes, the, the metaphors that we draw from them, the, the meaning, the, 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 what, what it symbolizes for us. So that's, a, I think, a, a good way to, to think about all this sort of stuff. Um, yeah, definitely so. And the ancient connection between emotions and the element of water is also one dimension of this, you know, this free flowingness and energy that is in, in water has been linked with emotions by many, many thinkers, both past and, and, and present. And some thinkers like to link it especially with sadness or grief, you know, this sort of. Uh, fundamental current of life uh, which then includes connections to both sadness and and, and joy so that's something I I was thinking about when listening to you you, and uh, I guess for the people it can mean mean many many things but but there's certain very fundamental in this image of flowing water I think and I I personally connected to both both sadness and joy. Mm And it, it really, I think it, I, I have an image too, because there, where I do walking therapy, there's, there's some creeks um, and a bridge that I often will stop and look at the water with, with a client. And even, even this spring, there was a big uh, rain event here um, that washed through the creek and really changed the, changed the structure. There used to be some logs and kind of a, da- a few kind of dams where the water would, would, would uh, kind of eddy and also even become a little stagnant um uh and then suddenly it's all open now and flowing and so that's been an interesting metaphor to use for people to see how that changes um but it requires actually being in nature that's the thing i think people don't realize you have to have a relationship with a place an ongoing relationship with a place where you see it week after week month after month to really notice these changes too so I imagine Jennifer, can you say a little bit about where you actually walk and the place and your your you I, I, you must have developed a kind of a relationship yourself with these places. 
Yeah. And I love that you said that because I never really thought about it that way. Although I definitely feel that the relationship between people and nature is mutual, but the specific relationship and watching landscape change. It is so interesting that you say that. I um, mostly, to answer your question, Mm -hmm. mostly practice in a park that is located in a somewhat suburban neighborhood, but the park itself is isolated. And there's options for trails, there's a creek, there's woods, uh, there's a mountain biking trail back there as well. Mm. On the other side of the park is a playground and paved trails. So that gives us options also, depending on what's going on. But I was thinking about what you said and how you were saying in your your environment, you noticed a change after a rain. And I was thinking about recently how there was, I was walking with a client and there was a space. And I said, wait a minute, something used to be there but it's gone now. Well, how do you know what's there if it's gone? Mm-hmm. But because I had the relationship, I said, I remember that tree. Mm-hmm. And we related that to what was going on with them about about something missing, about having sort of a, a hole somewhere and emotionally what that feels like and to not see it anymore. And I think that that speaks on many levels emotionally to the relationship of place and the connection that we build with our clients and, and with the space that we're working in. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks for sharing that. And it reminds of many things, including this concept called solastalgia, uh, Glenn Albrecht's neologism mm-hmm. describing a sort of longing related to one's home home environment because something is missing so a combination of nostalgia and feeling a bit desolation because of the environmental changes and looking for for solace and uh, how about in your practice jennifer do people speak to you about their so-called eco emotions or climate emotions you know emotions they have related to environmental issues does that come up I think it comes up when there is a weather event. And I know you mentioned smoke earlier. So in Maryland, we don't have to deal with that. Thank goodness. However, two weeks ago, when the smoke came out of the Canadian wildfires near Montreal and and covered New York City, it made its way down here. And for the first time, I felt some empathy for people in California and West Coasters. And it was, it was scary. And we did talk about that, you know, the clients that I had scheduled for those couple of days, we had to talk about what we would do, how we would either reschedule or move to telehealth. And some people really didn't want to do that. And we decided to go out with a mask on. And it, yeah, it was in, it was an imposition, you know, it, it, it affected us. And I think when we think about that, and even though those instances are rare, it can be overwhelming. And I think that speaks to how some people feel about climate change. But I don't know if that's the most helpful approach emotionally. I think that building the relationship with the environment, having this connection, this innate connection with nature, being in touch with your feelings about it 
can lead to more positive change. You feel more empowered when you can identify what those feelings are, even if it is fear about Mm-hmm. the environment changing. Mm-hmm. Once you identify that, you can do more with it. You're not stuck in it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So trying to focus on hope. Yeah. 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 I think, um, yeah, again, into the, into the process of this, you know, being out in nature, we, 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 um, um, well, we have joint attention. The, the therapist and the person, the walking, they're both seeing things together. Our, our recent episode with Louise Chala about talking about children and parenting, you know, this idea of joint attention where an elder or parent is seeing with the child. And that is a very human response. If you go to a zoo or something like that and the kid says, oh, look at that. And everybody's looking at the animals, but it's, it happens in the wild too, in our own walks. Um, I was standing at that bridge I mentioned. Um, you know, that's what what's funny thing that happens in walking and outdoor therapy. It's like a in this particular moment, a uh, a great blue heron flew by, um, and it's pretty rare to see a heron down in the woods like that. Um, and I've seen the I've seen herons there, but there, you know, once once whatever you're talking about, you know, whatever the therapeutic thing, you say, oh. There's a great, and every, we both look at it, and it and it interrupts it interrupts our flow in a, in a positive way. So it's interesting because that would never happen in an office. A bird doesn't fly right. by in the office, you know. So there's something about being out in nature that is alive. Uh, but I think, unfortunately, yes, the the environment intrudes with smoke too. So I hadn't I haven't really thought about this directly, but we can't now, unfortunately, extricate walking therapy from climate change anymore because the climate is changing and it's going to affect all aspects of our life, including our walks. So walking therapy will become a form of climate therapy, whether we like it or not, unfortunately. So it's just something for us to be thinking about. Um, yeah, I'm just kind of, um, I'm just kind of here in our discussion now, um, feeling creative. Um, which where do we want to go we've got a little more time left um things that panu or jennifer you think are important for us to to get into for our talk today yeah well i I have a a couple ideas one is to talk about it from the therapist's perspective Mm. of having my own connection to nature and my lifestyle that i've now set up and how this could be possible for other therapists working in the natural space rather than a built environment. Every day I am using natural light, not a light bulb, not electricity. I'm using natural air, not air conditioning or heating system. So I think, you know, I'm, I'm doing my part and we all like to think we're doing our part. But I think the second point I would like to get to before we end today is how we can make larger scale changes through our our profession, through our the structure of our profession, insurance companies mm. and education. Mm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, what do you envision? What do you see in terms of walking therapy and sort of the, the mental health system? Okay, so currently there is no CPT code for outdoor therapy or walk and talk therapy. Mm-hmm. As of uh, a few months ago, I haven't looked mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. extremely recently, but I don't think that that has changed. Mm. So wouldn't it be wonderful? I mean, if you look at the list of CPT codes, there's hundreds. Why isn't that on there? Yep. And so 
and insurance companies work with us to to sanction this, to make this more affordable for more people. This doesn't have to just be for private pay or us working around it. And uh, I mean, in our um, Facebook group of walking outdoor therapists, there's always a question about how do I code for this? Mm-hmm. This is why not make it easy for us? Mm-hmm. So someone in managed care, I hope you're listening. yeah so for the listeners a cpt code is what the therapist would the number that you as therapist would put if they're using insurance coverage to 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 label and all all medical and health procedures have a code whether it's getting your you know blood drawn or whatever there's a there's a there's a, a, a code so yeah this is therapy lingo for the for the code and there isn't um there isn't a special code for walking therapy it's assumed that it's not defined, but it's typically assumed that therapy's in in an office. Although there are um, uh, location uh, modifier codes that you can use, and that's another concrete strategy we a therapist might wait, might use, where because you can there are modifier codes for hospital or for office or telehealth, um, and uh, I think home visits and various things. But there isn't a location code for walking in a park. Um, so I, I do I do think that's that's an interesting and potentially changeable thing. And it gets into the business of healthcare and the system. Now, Finland and other places, I think it's different. Pano, are you aware of, I think they are, they are more outdoor um, opportunities for therapy in Finland. Uh, I know there are some, but it's difficult to do a comparison. I don't know both of the systems in, enough for, for that. And mm-hmm. of course, most of Finnish therapeutic encounters happen indoors also. And then there are people in mm-hmm. environmental psychology and eco-psychology pioneering and championing uh, outdoor therapy methods, including walk, walk therapy. And I'm also thinking about sort of community related adaptations of this. So it's always great if there's a possibility to go with a psychological professional, but not always there is. So there can be some community practices and skills which then touch on some of the same elements and dynamics. And we have mentioned some of these in the podcast before. For example, the ecological grief-related methods by Trepe Johnson and the Radical Joy for Hard Times Network, for example, which often include walking sometimes to these what they call wounded place, places in, in, in nature. I've been part in Finland in movements where people do walks in nature, sometimes a week-long walks, walks, and there's often some therapeutic impacts, and then there's people uh, thinking about their issues in life, so interrelated to people's meaning systems, there's often things going on, and that's the product of walking, walking long enough. So I think part of our required skills in living with the world of climate change would be the ability to do different kinds of walks, sometimes with therapists and sometimes more community-led. And in your book, Jennifer, you also do some discussion about the broader dimensions of walking, including walking for justice issues and these kinds of public things. So Mm. uh, would you like to say some reflections about those broader dimensions? Sure. Walking is what we've always done right since we became upright people and so this is nothing new this is this is normal why do we walk we walk to get places we walk for safety we walk for security we walk with people 
when we walk with people, we feel connected, we feel safe. And this is very important. And so why is it that all these walks are coming out, not just to raise money for breast cancer awareness or to end the opioid epidemic, all these walks, they come together. There was just here in Washington, DC, an overnight walk to raise awareness and for suicide prevention. And it's very powerful, very meaningful that these walks are happening. It's intentional. There's purpose, there's meaning in walking. Think about all the walks for civil rights. I mean, these were historically changing events that empowered people. People used to walk to the top of a mountain so they could get a better view of the army coming Mm. or walk to water because it's a source of life. So walking is in us. It's in us and we, we have a need to move. So I think it's, that is very important. Mm. Yeah, it's beautiful to think about all the different levels uh, of a of a of a mundane walk, how our body is designed, as 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 we talked about in our earlier conversation through evolution, to walk upright and to motivate. And humans are incredibly gifted creatures in that way, uh, and exploiting the environment and things like that, and then walking for justice. So, so listeners, you can think about all the different levels of of walking. You know, there's both the therapeutic of just how it's good for our health. We didn't explicitly mention social justice issues, and we have to be careful about that. Not everyone uh, is lucky enough to have uh, some of the parks that we've been describing with some intact green spaces and things like that. So um, I think walk the if we had more time, we would, we would go into this idea of cultural diversity and social justice. And there are different ways to walk um, in different neighborhoods and, and kinds of walking, and I think Jennifer, your point about civil rights marches points to how certain communities view nature and the natural world and walking as a form of social justice primarily. Uh, And that's where the uh, action is versus personal restoration only. Um, But it's, 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 it's all the above for us. Yeah. Walking is, is a form of connection with people, a very primal form of connection, even carrying people, carrying our children and things like that. So. Um, beautiful talk, beautiful talk. Um, well, I think we're at the end of our time. Um, so, um, Jennifer's book, let's make sure we have a title for everyone. Walk and talk therapy, a clinician's guide to incorporating movement and nature into your practice and congratulations because it has just come out. Um, and so Jennifer, Jennifer is one of many people doing this, but sort of you know, a spokesperson for this uh, in this new post-COVID therapy environment uh, that makes more opportunities for walking. So I'm going to recommend it. And um, Panu is going to be continuing to walk. Um, mm-hmm. So you all take care of yourselves. Uh, it was great to chat and uh, have good rest of your days. Thank you, Jennifer, and take care, all listeners. Thank you both for having me here today. And listeners, be well. Take care. The Climate Change and Happiness podcast is a self-funded volunteer effort. Please support us so we can keep bringing you messages of coping and thriving. See the donate page at climatechangeandhappiness.com.